morning, church. It is an absolute honor to be with you today, to worship with you this Sunday, and to delight in God's word this morning. If you are new to Free Methodist, welcome. We are so glad you are here, and we hope you feel encouraged this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Now, as a disclaimer, I'm a little bit on the charismatic side, so when I'm preaching this morning, you guys can talk back at me. All right, just as a reminder, you can say amen, you can say preach, preacher, you can say mmm. All is welcome, okay? So hopefully you've had a good cup of coffee, because here we go. This Sunday, we get to talk about everyone's favorite subject, money. Please hear the sarcasm in my voice when I say that, because no one wants to talk about money let alone preach a sermon on it. There are certain topics many of us would rather avoid discussing, like our weight or perhaps our respective dating histories. But if there's one item people loathe to chat about, it's money. In a new 2018 study from Capital Group, it's an American financial service company, in their report, they say that U.S. adults say they'd be more apt to talk about marital conflicts, mental illness, drug addiction, politics, that's right, politics, and religion before broaching the topic of money. In fact, only 35% of Americans talk about money with their friends and peers. It is clearly an uncomfortable and taboo topic to discuss. But the Bible does not avoid this subject. It is not taboo in Scripture. In fact, there are 2,300 verses alone on money, wealth, and possessions. Jesus spoke about money roughly 15% of his preaching, and 11 out of 39 parables involve money. It was his most talked about topic. But why? Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, proclaims, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus spoke about money because he knew that money was a heart issue, and that is one of the most likely reasons for someone to not follow him or to give up faith. Jesus knew money, wealth, possessions. They serve as a distraction in faith and often a precursor to greed. And it's for this reason I believe James, the brother of Jesus, who would have heard the Sermon on the Mount— begins his epistle to the church by diving immediately into the temptation of money and wealth. He's willing to discuss the uncomfortable subject so the church may be wise in its perspective about money. So church, buckle in and join me in the reading of James 1, 9 through 11. Let the believer who is lowly, boast in being raised up. 
and the rich and being brought low. Because the rich will despair, excuse me, disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. It's the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. The word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray that God... Uh, I will step aside and the work of your Holy Spirit will illuminate this text in such a way that, God, that we are both convicted and also encouraged in our faith. I pray that this word will remain living within us, within this week, as we meditate upon the good works of James, on the good word that he has for us as a church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We glorify you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we say. Amen. The book of James is a bit like the Old Testament book of Proverbs, dressed up in New Testament clothes. Its consistent focus on practical action in the life of faith is reminiscent of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, encouraging God's people to act like God's people. The pages of James are filled with direct commands to pursue a life of holiness and to remain consistent in the face of great trials and tribulations. In verses 2 through 8, we learned from Pastor Colleen last week that James demands the church to pray for wisdom. Life is certainly not easy, and there are difficult moments which leave us weary in faith. Trials will test every Christian, but godly wisdom helps us keep perspective. This wisdom is what produces holiness and as such makes us resilient in our belief that God is our hope and our salvation. Therefore, in verses 9 through 11, James continues his exhortation on wisdom by inviting the church to examine the trial of poverty and wealth in the life of a believer. James dives immediately into the uncomfortable subject of wealth, so wisdom and holiness may prevail in the life of the church. He begins by telling those without means to boast in their high position as believers. Verse 9. The Greek word for lowly is tapenios, which literally means one who does not rise far above the ground. While the word raised up comes from the Greek word hespis, which means height. Therefore, the literal interpretation of verse 9 is, let the believer who does not rise far above the ground take pride in the height he or she has reached. And I'm going to read that one more time. The literal interpretation of verse 9 is, let the believer who does not rise far above the ground, take pride in the height he or she has reached. Though this is a simple statement, it is bold, and I think easily misunderstood. James is not saying, if you're broke, 
live paycheck to paycheck, can't pay your mortgage, and your children are starving, rejoice! You're living your best life. No, that is not what he is saying. Because for any of us who have been poor or currently stressed financially, we know the struggle is real. And we would bulk at that statement. Additionally, I think we would be amiss to not name that we live in a society that sadly systematically oppresses others and continues to create and maintain low-income communities where we regulate people to lives of poverty. It is built into the fabric of our society. Amen. Amen. Hard truth. And then the sad truth is that for many of us in our society, we have the audacity to then blame them for their circumstances. I mean, church, this is the, the seeds of racism, right? And the struggle is real. And to simply say, rejoice in your oppression. Rejoice in the fact that you are systematically oppressed would be insensitive and unloving. James is not saying this. He's not saying to the poor believer, rejoice in your poverty or in this oppression. He's saying, rejoice in the height you have as a believer. Keep your head high. For though the world may despise you and your circumstances make you weary, you have much to rejoice in because your present condition does not determine your final destination. Though you have little, Christ gives you dignity, lifts you up from your despair, and raises you up as an equal. Though you may suffer in this life, know that you have hope because the gospel is liberating. And our hope is built in the resurrection of Christ that we too will be resurrected over our sufferings, even in the face of racism, even in the face of poverty. Theologian James Cone says it best in his final book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And yet the Christian gospel is more than a transcendent reality, more than going to heaven when I die to shout salvation as I fly. It is also an eminent reality, a powerful, liberating presence amongst the poor right now in their midst, building them up where they are torn down and propping them up on every leaning side. The gospel is found wherever poor people struggle for justice, fighting for their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In the church, there are no rich or poor, for we are all the beloved of Christ. This is what James is saying. Though you may be poor, rejoice, for you have dignity in Christ and in the church. You are an equal. You have honor. You have worth. You are a part of a community who will not keep you low to the ground, but hold your worth as equal and call you brother and sister. James gives dignity to the poor believer. And the wisdom James offers to the poor is simple. Do not put your hope in money, but put your hope in Christ. For Christ is your salvation, not wealth or success. Christ gives you dignity. Thus rejoice in your high status as a believer. There is no shame. In the same breath, James then turns to the rich believer. 
and says, And the rich should boast in being brought low, because the rich will despair like a flower in the field. It's important to note, James in verses 10 through 11 is not saying, Being rich is bad, or people who are rich are evil. No, no. He is addressing the perspective of the rich believer in the same way that James was addressing the perspective of the poor believer. For the rich believer, he is asking them to boast in how they have been brought low in Christ. James is essentially asking for humility. A rich person is often self-sufficient, needs nothing, is often privileged in society, so offered more opportunities and access to things. Those with material wealth are often defined by their success and idolized in our community for their contributions. They are given a high social status. And proof of this can be found in our obsession with Hollywood or the simple and absurd fact that the Kardashians have made so much money, but just inviting the world to observe their life on reality TV. Absurd. There's this odd obsession with people who are rich, and as such, gives the wealth special treatment. And to be fair, to be fair, some people who are rich or who have much never ask for this singular treatment. It's just woven into how society treats wealth. But regardless, if you are rich, you still benefit. Because if you are rich, you are privileged because you receive all the privileges that come with having wealth, whether you ask for it or not. That is where security can come when we talk about wealth. Therefore, if you are a rich believer, you would have to possess a certain humility to profess a belief in Christ. You have to acknowledge you are not self-sufficient, denounce your privilege in society, and confess that you are not special even though society gives you a special status. As a believer, you know that you are made special because of Christ and only in Christ. For once you were slaves to sin, but in faith you have become slaves to righteousness. Thus the rich believer is dependent on Christ and not self-reliant on their own success. This is the mark of humility in the life of a rich believer. This is the perspective that James is asking the person of wealth to maintain. He wants them to rejoice, boast that he or she is dependent on God. And church, that is radical. <laughs> Because it requires one to denounce their privilege and to give up their security and material wealth. It requires a rich believer to proclaim, I am equal with those who are poor. I am equal with those who maybe society deems lesser than. It requires the rich believer to stand side by side with the poor, with the oppressed, and in solidarity proclaim and worship a full dependence on God and a need for Jesus Christ. This is the powerful work of the gospel in the lives of people, because as stated before in the church, there are no rich or poor for we are all the beloved of Christ. There is no special status amongst any of us because we are all dependent upon God. We are equals. 
When the rich believer boasts in their lowly status as a Christian, it levels the playing field. It creates space for the lowly brother or sister to rejoice in their dignity as a Christian so both can stand in solidarity in their worship of Christ. Amen. Amen. Right? Gosh. Christ is the great equalizer between poor and rich. There is no barrier when we come here on a Sunday morning. That is powerful. To further expound on this point, James in verse 11 poetically communicates wealth can bring with it the delusion of security and reminding believers wealth is temporal, passing, not eternal. If you were a first century Jew or Gentile, verse 11 would bring to mind the springtime fields of Palestine. And I, scanning the landscape, would see carpets of flowers bursting with color. But these flowers did not last long because the weather soon evolved into a hot, dry season that extinguished them. The rising sun of the summer morning brought a searing east wind called the Sirso from the Arabian desert. And under the heat of the sun and the heat of the wind, the flowers withered, shedding their petals to litter the ground. This makes me often think about in the spring when we drive to Solvang and we see all of those beautiful orange flowers. And we in Santa Barbara drive out in droves to see these flowers because we know we only have them for a short period of time before the summer heat takes them away. In the same way, James is saying money, success, wealth, it will quickly pass. You cannot take it with you when you die. None of it really matters. There's not an internal significance to these things. And it's a bit of a downer. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, you work so hard for a nest egg that will protect you. You invest in some stocks. You buy a nicer home. You get a vacation home. And, of course, you have to buy a nice car. And you have all the outward signs of financial success. But the sad truth is none of this really matters. There is no real security in wealth because no one stays rich forever because no one lives forever. And perhaps you've seen the bumper sticker that says, He who dies with the most toys wins. Okay, uh, but you're still dead in the end and someone else has all the toys. (laughs) Okay? Right? I mean, this is James's whole point. Riches provide no security because when we die, our riches vanish with us. Essentially, James in verse, verses 10 through 11 is warning rich believers to not think too highly of themselves because even though they might have influence and status here on earth, all of this will one day pass away. As rich believers... We should not become dependent on wealth for security. Don't allow the cares of this world to blind you from your need of God. Instead, become humble. Think of yourselves less. Identify with the circumstances of the poor. Love your neighbor as yourself. The wisdom James offers to the rich believer is simple. Do not put your hope in money But put your hope in Christ, for Christ is your salvation, not wealth or success. Christ has gifted you with the 
wisdom of humility, thus rejoice in your low status as a believer. In conclusion, James speaks dignity over those who have little, while simultaneously encouraging humility in those who have much. Though it is a mere three verses, it is a wonderfully rich text, bringing both conviction and perspective on how faith should inform material wealth. It breaks barriers between poor and rich, uniting believers in Christ and grounding the church in the gift of contentment. It properly situates hope to be found in Christ alone and not in fleeting material things which have no eternal significance. It is a beautiful reminder and a much-needed exhortation for us as believers to know we have enough because we have Christ. And as a pastor of this church, I have to confess, I am still working on this discipline of contentment. (laughs) We have to pay a mortgage, but I also want to go on a nice vacation. And then I get frustrated. But then I have to step back and ask for godly wisdom to have perspective. Did I just listen to myself in saying that? I have a mortgage. That means I have a home. I have a place that I get to call home that provides shelter for me. (laughs) The hope of a vacation. I live in Santa Barbara. (laughs) I have things in my life that are enough. And if I do not evaluate wealth in my life, I may not be content. And I may not carry a perspective about my wealth in a proper and godly and eternal way. And it's for this reason I want to remind each of us the uncomfortable truth that we are all wealthy in this room. We are all the rich believer. In the global world, almost half of the world's population, over 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. At least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. In the global standard, we are rich because many of us have at least one car, a roof over our head, eat three meals a day, and have enough money to buy a coffee from our favorite coffee shop on occasion. We are wealthy people, and at times we can lose sight of how much wealth we have in comparison to our global brothers and sisters. I hope you take time this week to practice what James asks of the rich believer. Humility to rejoice in our low status. I pray we will take time to practice gratitude and work to discipline ourselves so we live lives of contentment. James reminds us as rich believers we need to look at our circumstances, our wealth, our privileges in light of God's big picture. We need to stand back from our status in life. (laughs) And we need to adopt heavenly wisdom to assess how things really are so that we may persist in the trial or in the temptation of wealth. Church, we have enough, and yet we often still want more. I pray and I hope that we will take time this week to really assess our wealth and to be thankful for what we have. I pray gratitude will produce humility 
And in this humility, a renewed vision for how we can live out faith as people who have more than enough money, more than enough possessions, more than enough wealth, especially in contrast to this global world. I pray we will know the gift of contentment and in this humility see our need, our reliance, our dependency on God. I pray our self-assurance will not be rooted in money, but in the hope we have as Christians. And in this hope, we may then look to our brothers and sisters of lowly means and say, we see your dignity. Rejoice. John Chrysostom says it best, uh, happiness can only be achieved by looking inward and learning to enjoy whatever life has. And this requires transforming greed into gratitude. So as we finish our time together, I want to offer you just three reflection questions. Questions for you to ponder and to reflect on this week in your time of prayer or when you're reading James or if you decide to work ahead for next week's sermon on James 1, starting at verse 12. You're welcome. The first question is, what are you thankful for this week? It's a simple question. What are you thankful for this week? And specifically, what are you thankful for and the things that maybe you have in this life? Maybe you're thankful that you have a home, that you get to go to your home, and you get to crawl into your bed that has nice sheets. And even though it's been a little bit warm, maybe you have an AC unit installed in your window. (laughs) Maybe you are Thankful that you have a car that can take you from point A to point B. Maybe you're thankful that you have enough money that you get to bless others by gifting them with that money. Maybe you're thankful for just a simple, warm cup of coffee. And that, to you, is enough. The second question is, how does money influence you? And I think this requires some time to invite the Holy Spirit to really say, reveal to me how money influences me? How does it shape my thinking or my understanding? Do I put security in my financial success more so than I put my security in Christ? And if you find yourself wrestling with that, practice confession. Confess. Confess to a good sister or a brother. Ask for prayer. And then continue to invite the Holy Spirit to illuminate things in your life so that your thinking about wealth may be sanctified. And you may become more wise and more holy, as James encourages us to be. And the third is, what is enough in your life? I love this question. What is enough? How would you define enough? And again, ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and guidance on what this means. I pray your time in prayer and study and reflection will produce wisdom in your life and as such give you the strength to persevere in the temptation of wealth. And as we sang this morning, all to Jesus we surrender. All to him we freely give. We will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. Thank you, church. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.